Welcome to See You on the Other Side, where the world of the mysterious collides with the world of entertainment. A discussion of art, music, movies, spirituality, the weird, and self-discovery. And now, your hosts, musicians and entertainers who have their own weakness for the weird, Mike and Wendy from the band Sunspot. Well, Wendy, you're in a haunted place right now, aren't you? I am, yes. I am in California, going from one haunted place to the next. Okay. I'm currently at the Mission Inn in Riverside, which has a ton of history. I don't know that much about it, but I'm about to go explore and find out. So hopefully next week I'll have some cool stuff to report. But uh, the past two days have been very, very paranormally exciting. All right. As I got to stay at the Queen Mary, the haunted ship in Long Beach, Mm. California. And I also attended the Midsummer Scream conference, <laughs> which uh, I got to see the panel featuring last week's guest, DJ McHale and Scott Marcus were both there. That sounds like fun. Uh, as well as another another one of the Are You Afraid of the Dark people. And uh, just a ton of Halloween, you know, everything from haunted house attractions to makeup artists to, you know, horror story book authors and movie makers, and all the stuff we love. Well, that sounds cool. Have you had a paranormal experience since you've been there? Well, Oh, just maybe. Just the well makes it sound like you did have a paranormal experience. Let's hear about it. Well, I went on the ghost tour yes. at the Queen Mary, yes. which is really fun and interesting. And the very first thing they said was that it was based on a book written by Jeff Belanger, one of our recent guests. Oh, yeah. We just had Jeff on, too. And does Jeff know that the haunted tour is based on his book? <laughs> I don't know. I think he might have just learned that from us okay. <laughs> because I did awesome. tweet about it. And so, yeah, I, I was very excited to hear that. So he must have done some real research there, but um, that was fun and interesting. And while we were staying there, we did have a little bit of a, a strange occurrence in our hotel room. Like what, that was, what kind we, of strange occurrence? <laughs> well, and I don't know if it was paranormal or not, but we, you know, the little chain that you put over your door to make sure nobody is going to bust in. Sure. Well, well, let's set it up real quick here. So what kind of room is yeah. this? Like when I think about a last time I stayed on a ship or something like that, it was a tiny room with like bunk beds kind of thing. So what kind of, <laughs> what kind of room is this? Well, it is one of the original rooms from the Queen Mary's layout, like the floor plan from the original. And it's a luxury liner that was built in the 30s. Okay. The maiden voyage being in 36. And uh, the level that we were staying on was at the time was like one of the first class levels or whatever. Okay. So you weren't, right. you weren't staying with Jack Dawson or whatever from Leonardo DiCaprio's character from Titanic. No. It wasn't in steerage. We weren't in, we, we weren't in steerage. Okay. It was quite a spacious room, actually. I would say very comparable to any type of typical hotel room that you would stay in. Okay. At a, at a regular hotel. It didn't feel like too much like a ship. I mean, the, the layout was very efficient so that, you know, the different desks and things like that were built in. And there was a little table that you could fold up from the hallway and stuff like that. But Did you have a porthole? Yeah, two okay. of them. Okay, so you had two portholes. Was, what was the view from the porthole? That's what I want to hear. Well, the view from the porthole was basically the parking lot. Okay, okay. Was well, some cars. <laughs> because the Queen Mary is permanently docked okay. in its location. So, I mean, not to say that it won't ever sail again, but it probably will never sail again. (laughs) So we did not have an Oceanside view, but it didn't really matter because we weren't sitting there staring out the window. Okay. But there was, there was Um, portholes instead of windows. Yes. Okay. Yes. And the room laid out was, you know, you come in the door and there's a very long, narrow hallway that led to the main room area. Mm -hmm. And so the little chain latch that you slide across 
to prevent somebody from busting into your room. Yeah. Unwelcome. Right. Even if they have a key. <laughs> in the middle of the night. Yes. In the middle of the night, we heard it slide as if someone were locking or unlocking it. From so. the inside. Yes. Okay. Now this is, <laughs> okay. Now this is what I like. So if somebody had a key to the room, they could kind of get in and they would shake the chain or whatever and scare you a little bit because it's right. Like, the door would open like an inch. Cause that'd be good for business. <laughs> like a place that has a, a place that has several haunted tours. The Queen Mary has yeah. like has a haunted tour, like a deluxe VIP haunted tour, a regular haunted tour, a haunted tour with a dinner, a haunted tour with an investigation. To them, like sc- scaring scaring a little bit of poop out in the middle of the night of the guests, probably <laughs> is good for business. Be good for business. <laughs> but the fact is, there was no one inside the room besides you guys, right? No, you know, and unless someone had a real strong magnet, maybe oh. that could make the thing slide from the outside. But I don't know, and I don't I know. Even think about the magnet. It was really, really late at night. There was nobody in the hallways or nothing going on. So I don't know what it was. Could you, could hear, been... could you hear footsteps in the hallways? Like if you could hear people passing? No. Or if it, okay. Um, like at the time, like, let's you, say it was a guy that maybe beats two bucks walking past you in the hallway. You, <laughs> like, could you have probably Well, the thing it? is, our room, so there's the main hallway, mm-hmm. which had to be at least a tenth of a mile long. And you couldn't, because of the shape of the ship, it slopes down. Okay. It's kind of like a bow and arrow. You know how the bow bends and that's how the, the ship is shaped. So oh. when you're all the way at one end, you can't see the other end because of the shape of it. It's kind of a rounded shape, but it's very, very long. And we were kind of in the middle of that. But to get to our room, you had to go down the hallway. And then there was a little, another miniature hallway that led to our room and one of the other rooms. So I think that little mini hallway kind of buffered a lot of the sound from the main hallway. So you didn't hear a ton of people walking around. All right. So if somebody was so. screwing around outside your room, messing with the chain, with the magnet or whatever, chances are you would have <laughs> Right. Heard. Yeah, I think so. All right. So, so the, anyway. The ghosts. It's the a small thing, there. but it, it could have been. I don't know. But that's the fun part. The mystery. Right? right. That sounds like fun. Well, we'll probably have to do a full episode of the Queen Mary sometime and uh, find out the different secrets and lore behind oh my it. Gosh. We, we can probably ask Jeff Belanger to come back on and talk about it. We should. He wrote the book. He's an expert. Yeah. And it's a beautiful place. I highly recommend visiting it. If anybody's in the Los Angeles area, check it out. It's really, really a cool historical site. Well, well that sounds so, like fun. But Mike, you've been holding on the fort at the CU on the other side and Sunspot headquarters in Wisconsin. Yes, I have. What kind of exciting things are going on there that I have to look forward to when I return? To tell you the truth, I'm just doing research on haunted history stuff around here. So All I, right. I have well, that's not fun. Seen, I have not seen or gone on any investigations in particular, but I have learned okay. a whole bunch of things about southeastern Wisconsin and northern Illinois that I'm, well, I'll share sometime. But right now I'm just I'm working on different uh, some new haunted history tour stuff. Uh, that'll be that's exciting, exciting. To come up so, especially because especially on the tour that you've ran before when the Waukesha ghost tour yeah uh, and a place we used to play at oh it used goodness to be, it used to be called neighbor's social club now it's called something else and i won't spoil this for anybody but it's a, <laughs> a place that sunspot used to play at has a ghost of a girl that hung herself in the basement oh my goodness yeah and that's serious they were completely open to talking about it and stuff so there's going to be fun new uh, haunted stories coming up. Uh, and so that's what I'm working on while, while Wendy Ma. is gallivanting around California. I can't wait. But this week, Mike, we have a topic that's completely different from everything. Well, except that it's paranormally linked. It is, absolutely. And, and the thing is, 
I am not an expert in this topic at all because it wasn't a show that I really watched. Um, but our compadre, my sister Allison from Milwaukee Ghosts, uh, she was a super fan of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. And it's the 20th anniversary of Buffy this year. So Allison really wanted to have a round table with other Buffy supervans. So she brought on our friends, Greg and Dana from the, the Traveling Museum of the Paranormal Occult, uh, Jack Hunter, who you'll recognize from the para, the Paranthropology episode of the show, and also a professor from Marquette, James South, who edited a book about Buffy the Vampire Slayer and philosophy. So they've got a 20th anniversary special round table where they talk about how Buffy influenced them to research the paranormal. All right. Well, I'm excited. I was never that much into that show. And so I'm really curious to hear this and maybe I'll become a Buffy fan uh, after hearing it. Maybe you will too. This is Allison Jornlin from MilwaukeeGhost.com. Today I'm joined by Professor James South from Marquette University in, in my hometown of Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Welcome, James. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Also joining us is anthropologist Jack Hunter from the UK, who is author and editor of over uh, of five books, as well as the Paraanthropology Journal. Hey, Jack, how are you doing today? Hi, nice to be here. Thank you. And we also welcome professional weirdos Dana Matthews and Greg Newkirk from the Traveling Museum of the Paranormal and Occult. Welcome, Dana, and welcome, Greg. Hey, thanks for having us. Thanks for having uh, us. It's great. I'm, I'm so glad that we're all together for this very important topic. So the topic of today is the 20th anniversary of the TV show Buffy the Vampire Slayer. So uh, you at home might be chuckling right now uh, as you listen to that, but you can laugh, do laugh, but also listen. And I think you're going to be surprised as to you know the depth of the conversation today. So because we're lucky enough to have so many guests today, I'm going to run the interview like a conference panel where um, I'm going to pose a question and then direct it in the order of introduction. So I'm going to start with uh, James first, then Jack, then followed by Dana and finally Greg. And then I might chime in after um, if I just can't help myself. (laughs) Uh, And then I'll ask the next question. So... um, the first question, I think the, the most obvious question, is why, after 20 years, are we still talking about a silly TV show called Buffy the Vampire Slayer? Now, ostensibly, uh, this was a show about a teenage girl who alone has the power to protect us from demons and vampires. Now, you know, I remember friends um, who, who didn't know the show uh, back in the day asking me, is, is this show anything like Sabrina the Teenage Witch or Charmed? To which I replied, absolutely not. <laughs> and I was a little bit insulted. So, James, can you straighten this out for us? Why would a show which on the surface seems to have such a ridiculous premise still resonate uh, today after all these years? That's a, even to me, still an amazing question, right? And the answer to it is, is, is multifold. First of all, um, it was you know a vision show that is there was a guy who had a vision and wanted to try to say something with that vision um and put it on put it on videotape and broadcast it um and what he had to say was just uh incredibly rich incredibly metaphorical incredibly witty in terms of dialogue um and 
he got graced with an absolutely exceptional cast and a set of writers who were on the same wavelength as he was. And he was able to get the multiple messages of Buffy across that way. Yeah, so we're talking about, of course, Joss Whedon, who is exactly. known, known today for so many things. Uh, you know, lately, uh, the awesome show Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., so, uh, Jack, I'm going to come to you. So, so what do you think? I mean, why is this not ridiculous for us to be talking about this today? Well, I think one very good reason is that I think um, if you think back to it, Buffy is one of the first TV programs, you know, in this new kind of like Game of Thrones um, epic kind of TV series, like with Breaking Bad and things. Buffy was like there at the, at the beginning with, uh, you know, the X-Files and in Twin Peaks even, which we could probably talk a lot about as well. Um, so it's kind of pertinent in that sense that we can go back to it and understand where the kind of TV that we're watching today has really come from. You know, with these right. big overarching uh, narrative arcs and things. So, yeah, I think it's important in that sense. But it's also really important. A landmark show. I'm sorry, go ahead. It's right, yeah. It's a landmark show, but it's also important because it taps into our kind of perennial interest in the paranormal and the supernatural as well. Which we'll be talking a lot about today since it is a paranormal podcast. <laughs> yeah, I hope so. <laughs> uh, so great um so Dana and then Greg. So so Dana, what what do you think? I mean, why for you is is it still an important show? I think What's interesting about it, it might, it might be a little bit different than what everyone else would say, because when Buffy first came out in 1996, I was 16, so I was the same age as Buffy. And I watched it from that moment on and pretty much finished the entire thing. So for me, it felt like a show that dealt with crazy things like demons and vampires, but all of the characters were me and my friends. And I could relate to all of these characters, and I could relate to the things that Buffy was going through, you know, on a personal level, even though... The world that they were living in was all about vampires and demons. And so it felt really, it felt like something that was very important to me as a 16 year old. And I continued growing with it. And now, you know, I'm 36 years old and I still watch Buffy because I can still relate to it. Thank you. Greg, what do you think? I, I think that while many of the uh, wardrobes didn't age very well, I think a lot of the <laughs> lessons did. And I think that a lot of those lessons are still applicable to people, uh, you know, uh, especially as teenagers. I, I try and recommend the show as silly as the title might be to teenagers today, because I think that they can find a lot in it. And I think that that's a big reason why we can still talk about it and still go back to it, because, you know, those those lessons are still applicable and they're important. Yeah, I mean, I, I would agree with with what all, all of you have said. And, and I, I think really um, it, you know, when you do a TV show, you, you can make it ridiculous or you can make it about essential questions about what it's like to be human and, you know, what is the difference between right and wrong. So, you know, I think that that show really was far reaching in that respect. But as you as you guys say, I mean, it's a, it's a ridiculous title. Uh, I, I, I remember first hearing about the show and being like, oh, well, I love weirdness, right? <laughs> so, so I was like, okay, it's going to have vampires. So, all right, I'm going to give it a try, even though it sounds so stupid, like Buffy. <laughs> I hate that name, right? So that was my first um, thought about it. So I, I would like to go around, uh, starting with James, so to ask about how you got introduced to the show and what were your preconceptions and how did they change? Well, so my preconceptions were that this was a teenage show for teenagers, and I had no desire to watch it. And I had a friend who I trusted who just kept saying, you should watch this show. You should watch this show. 
And I did finally. And, you know, over the course of only three or four episodes, I went, uh, there's a vision here. There's a, there's a consistent voice. Although the first season's a little inconsistent, <laughs> but there's clearly something they want to do with this show that is unique and valuable. And, you know, when I saw the, the pilot and I saw the reversals between, between Darla as the helpless blonde turn into the evil vampire and Buffy is the helpless blonde turn into the slayer. It, it was just revelatory. Yeah, really transformative. And, you know, that's, that's the power of the show, I think. What, what do you think, Jack? Yeah, well, I'm just thinking back to when I, the very first time I saw it, and it was actually, it was like, kind of, I think it was like the night before I started high school. So I was only about um, 11 years old when it came on. And I, I was just blown away by it, because I'd always been interested in uh, Dracula and vampires and things. And then all of a sudden, it kind of brought them into the modern world. So it wasn't like, you know, Victorian Gothic anymore, though I love that stuff. It was my first real insight into uh, like modern day vampires. And I know like over the years, eventually I found out about Lost Boys and things like that. But really, Buffy was my first <laughs> insight into that. And it got me, it had me hooked, really. Yeah. Uh, Dana, how about you? Uh, for me, again, I'm 16, so I was all ready for the show. And then, I mean, what was cool about it was at the time, there wasn't a lot of stuff on television that like you could at least I felt I could really get into. There were things that I liked, but the second that Buffy, you know, happened, it was everything. It was the humor. It was the characters. All of it seemed like this show that I had sort of been waiting for. Finally, it was on TV. So for me, it was I loved it from the moment that it happened. <laughs> my introduction to Buffy was a bit different. I, I grew up uh, very sheltered. My my uh, dad is a Baptist minister. And I wasn't really allowed to watch a lot of television shows, particularly not Buffy the Vampire Slayer. And no um, dancing either, right? And no dancing either. <laughs> you didn't go to dances. Yeah. No dating till you were 16. <laughs> and I, the local movie store, the video store, I used to get posters. They'd give free posters out. And so my first introduction to Buffy was actually the poster for the movie. And I was not allowed to see the movie. But for some for some weird lapse in judgment, I was allowed to have the poster on my wall. And I would always look at this poster and I'd kind of make up in my mind what this was supposed to be about. And then eventually <laughs> one day I, I had this little television that I used to watch shows I wasn't allowed to watch on. And I watched, uh, I think it was, the, it was the first season. I caught an episode of the first season of Buffy and I was absolutely positively hooked from there on out because it was the same kind of thing. You know, I was a little bit younger but it, these were these were young kids and I could relate to them. And I was always, you know, I think like many of the others here, really fascinated with the lore of vampires and, you know, demons and things like that. And I thought that stuff was really interesting, maybe because it was taboo because of how I was growing up. But uh, it was, you know, maybe it was one of those deals where it was like the more I wasn't allowed to see it, the more I was into it. And Forbidden fruit is the absolutely. sweetest. <laughs> and it's had a stranglehold on me ever since. Well, I, I'm going to chime in and say that, oh, man, there's just like if you out there listening have not seen Buffy, it's just a heady mix of just so, so much uh, incredible stuff. You know, not only are we touching on essential questions, but the wit of it is incredible. I, you know, I miss that today, just that you could watch something for the content of it, but also just have, you know, this witty repartee that just keeps you going and is so quick. Um, 
so I really miss that. And I, of course, the kung fu fighting. <laughs> you know, you don't think that, that, that stuff like goes together, right? But somehow it works. So here's, here's maybe one of the most important questions that I have today. How do you think the narrative of Buffy affected your life? I mean, did it change you in, in any significant way? What do you think, James? <laughs> well, it, I think it, it changed my life in two ways. One is it is it compelled me, it provoked me to, as a professional philosopher, write about a TV series. And I had never, ever considered that option before. So just professionally, it changed me in that it put me in a direction of writing about uh, about Buffy and then subsequent television shows, movies, and other, other aspects of popular culture. Personally, what it did was it expanded my moral imagination. The... The things that Buffy goes through over the course of the seven years of the TV series, won't get into the comics because I don't know anything about the comics, uh, but over the course of the seven years of the TV series are all things that I learned from. You know, I, I, mean, I just was continually provoked to thought by the show, and that changed me, right? Yeah, I mean, I've heard some people compare it to Shakespeare. Really, I have. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, I, I don't really chuckle at that because, you know, for me, there were so many questions that, that I really delved deep into. Um, and, and like you said, it really challenges you. It really makes you think, I mean, you could make a stupid TV show, but that's clearly not what they did. And, you know, your, your work, James, you know, being able to, you know, write so extensively on the philosophy of a show and, and what it teaches us about, you know, the human condition. I mean, the fact that you can even do that means, you know, there has to be a lot of material there to work with and a lot of substance. And there are so many of us doing it. That was a thing I I discovered. I thought I was a weirdo, right? Um, when I wrote my first paper about Buffy and then it just I discovered this community of Buffy scholars who were approaching it from all these different perspectives, a philosophical, theological, cinematic, uh, visual, rhetorical. And it was just like, wow, how can any one text have this effect on so many people and so many disciplines? And the other thing I just want to say on it before we go to Jack is that, that for me, it's kind of a test that's out there for people. Can you get past the name? Can you get past the premise? <laughs> If you do, you're going to be surprised at, at what messages are in there. Um, so, Jack, what, what do you think? I'm like, how did, how did it affect you and your choices in life? Well, um, I'm immediately thinking to uh, Giles and the library, basically. That whole setup had a huge influence on me. And maybe talk about the character a little bit uh, for people who are unfamiliar. Yeah, so Giles is like, uh, well, he's... Um, the guy who basically looks after Buffy, he trains her up and he teaches her all of the, the kind of like arcane lore about demons and vampires. And he has watcher. Exactly. <laughs> and he has this incredible collection of um, ancient dusty tomes in his library uh, in the high school. <laughs> and then when I went to, un not university even, it, when I went to high school, I was hoping that my library would be like that, but it really wasn't, <laughs> unfortunately. But it didn't stop me. I managed to dig out in there um, an old Arthur C. Clarke mysteries book, and me and my friend used to go into the library, pretending we were part of like the Scooby Gang or whatever, and uh, read through this book. And I remember <laughs> there's one particular entry that keeps springs to my mind. You know, 
after all these years, an entry about the dreaded zombie cucumber, <laughs> which was like <laughs> this cucumber that um, you know voodoo priests would feed to people and turn them into zombies. So yeah, it inspired me to to read into these weird things. Another thing that inspired me to do as well, I remember looking up um, pictures of cattle mutilations and alien abductions in the library, and the librarian is <laughs> coming over. <laughs> checking over our shell, our shoulders and asking whether we should really be looking at stuff like that in school. It's like, well, they do it in Buffy. So, <laughs> so it must be okay. Yeah. <laughs> but that's, that's funny that she questioned your choice of material. It's mm. not like it's porn. No, <laughs> it's not. I mean, you're, you're really researching something uh, yeah. that's unexplained. Uh, which, you know, all librarians should, should uh, you know, give you a pat on the back for, right? Yeah, they should be encouraging it. Absolutely, I we completely agree on this. But but yeah, like the the whole role of you know Giles as this caretaker of knowledge, you know, was really appealing, and 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 also like like the idea of this this library as like a magical place. I mean, yeah. for me in, in my straight life, I'm a, I'm a fourth grade teacher, so um, I, you know, it's still. You know, I wish that kids would think of the library in that way, that it's it's a dangerous place, too. It's dangerous. Yeah. It's volatile. It can change your life. You know, that that, that it's it's so relevant um, to them, you know, whereas as today, you know, kids so often look at, at books um, and research as irrelevant to them. It's no, nothing that's interesting mm-hmm. to them. But, you know, I, I like the element of danger. Like, this is dan- dangerous knowledge. And, and um, for, for uh, the well-read out there, like, and not like H.P. Lovecraft either. I mean, because in H.P. Lovecraft stories, you know, the book is going to kill you. <laughs> it's like the knowledge is going to drive you crazy and there's nothing positive you can do with it. Um, it wasn't like that. It was like no knowledge is power, along with, you know, the, the slaying skills of Buffy. Yeah. We also had power and just the, the the raw knowledge itself, which which was accessible to anyone. Yeah. Dana, what are your thoughts? Well, Buffy was really, I mean, incredibly, it was hugely empowering for me because, I mean, even just thinking back to my very first paranormal research team, we were all girls. And Buffy was a massive, you know, reason for that because it was empowering. And we kind of, at the time, and not only we were young girls or girls, but we were young girls. So... We were sort of stepping into a community of people that at the time, back in 2001, was really heavily male dominated. And so here come these like four, you know, 20 year old, 19 year old girls. And we were like, we were paranormal investigators, but we do it sort of the way that we do it. And so, you know, it, it, it was very much and it was still, you know, on the air at that time also. So it was very much like a contributor to our uh, decision to sort of do it our own way as opposed to the way that everyone else kind of wanted us to be doing it. Yeah, and and so out of that, you got your own TV show. So yes. It's like you watch TV and then you had your own TV show in Canada. What was that called again so we can look it up on YouTube? It was called, the name was not great, much like Buffy. It was called The Girly Ghost Hunters. But we did get to investigate, you know, a lot of Canada's most haunted places and, um, and today, you know, a lot of people don't get the chance to actually go into them and sort of delve into the history and the re- and do, do research about. Do you them. remember what the official description of your show was? It was uh, it was four four. It was like something like four girls with the. Uh, it was something about Buffy the Vampire Slayer meets Scooby Doo. Yeah, that's that was the tagline for it. <laughs> so so wow, you you um, I mean that's just so inspiring that you were ins- you you found a TV show 
um, you know, that, that got you going, got you going in that direction. And then, then you actually became part of the medium yourself. So, <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> that's just crazy. So, uh, Greg, how did it affect you? And, you know, how do you think it, it influenced your choices? I mean, it's, it really dictated the entire crazy direction of the rest of my life. I mean, and that's not an exaggeration. Dana and I would probably have never have met uh, if it wasn't for Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Um, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, while I'd always had an interest, and in, in my friends and I had always had an interest in, you know, spooky stuff, and we'd, you know, read the old Time Life Mysteries books, you know, about the UFOs and things like that, it was really watching Buffy that made us go, let's, let's go on a vampire hunt. You know, and we we did we we stole our parents' credit cards and we ordered medieval weapon replicas and we went out into the cemetery at night to like role play Buffy. They were basically they were LARPing. We were LARPing were basically. <laughs> and then uh, you know when weird stuff started to happen that you know we it wasn't the older kids who we'd got to go and you know scare our friends to hide in the cemetery when weird stuff started to happen. You know Buffy kind of became what we would turn to. Well. Let's go to the library. Let's go to the library and, and crack open this book and, of magic spells and let's see what we can find. Or we'll see, you know, what kind of what kind of ghost would be bound to this particular place. And that's what we always kind of referred to. And it became a litmus test for how well we would mesh with our other friends. You know, if they liked Buffy and they could understand the jokes that we were making about Buffy, they were cool and they were in. And, you know, it's it's strange how now, you know. I, I can sit there and think if it wasn't for Buffy making me go out and actually start going to cemeteries and libraries and, you know, Googling about stuff like Willow would do, uh, I would never have met Dana. I wouldn't have started a website about ghost hunting. I wouldn't have met Dana and I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing today. So it's had a, a pretty immeasurable impact on my life. Absolutely. I'm reminded, by the way, in your mention of the Time Live series, that is actually referenced in the pilot of the Buffy television series. <laughs> oh right? but Buffy, Buffy mocks Giles by asking if he, had, if he had signed up for the whole Time Live series. Right? <laughs> and of course he had. <laughs> of course he had, right? Yeah. So, um, now, talking about the show, I mean, one of the powerful elements that, that I've seen and other people have noticed um, is collaboration, like the, the the group, the importance of the group. I mean, even though it's supposed to be about Buffy, there is only one. I mean, in reality, that's not that's not how it plays out. I mean, she she really depends on her friends, and um, everybody's able to work together as a a, a team. So, uh, my next question is about you know what what does this teach teach us about teamwork or or you know the importance of teamwork or the importance of research. Well, I think one of the things I would I would say to that is it shows the importance of um, what we might call a chosen family as opposed to a birth family, right? That is, we find the people who we have similar interests, similar lines of thinking, similar senses of humor, and tackle problems, right? And I mean, the world is so full of complex problems that nobody sitting in an armchair is going to be able to figure it out. You're going to need research teams. And to find that sympathetic research team where, as is so powerfully explored at the end of, of season four, um, each one has a separate role to play, right? And combined, they make up a team. Yeah. Uh, Jack, what do you have to say, either about collaboration or research? Well, just on the or topic both. of 
Yeah. On the topic of research, I mean, it's kind of like a good kind of model to follow, I think. Like you find something weird, you go and find out what it is, and then you go and tackle it. And I think uh, that's, you know, a, one of the influences it's had on me is that it has emphasized that importance of, you know, doing a bit of reading, going and finding uh, experts like Giles to talk to about these things, people who actually do understand. Um, and in a way, you know, I'm just finishing off my PhD now, but it's a similar kind of process that I'm going through. I have my own watchers who are my PhD supervisors, and they point me in the right direction for certain kinds of books to research and things like that. It's, uh, yeah, it's really good. It's a good model. Yeah, so so it, it does kind of affect your regular life. You know, you, you can look at Buffy and, and see things, take away things that you can use uh, for success in your in your regular life, it sounds like. You can. Buffy can teach you how to be a good scholar. <laughs> well, just, just just say a little bit more about that. <laughs> well, I mean, like, um, it paves the way. It shows you the direction, you know, how you can be a scholar of the weird yourself. And that, I mean, Giles is like this this archetype that I've, <laughs> in a way, I've tried to embody in my, my uh, kind of my teaching persona, but also in my my research and things. Yeah, he's just this uh, like a, a beacon of weird scholarship. I hope he inspires us. Giles anytime. <laughs> Love to be. <laughs> All right, Dana. What 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 do you think? Either by collaboration or research or both. I think I think the show really said a lot about uh, surrounding yourself with people that had different kinds of skill sets. So, you know, Buffy usually wouldn't get to solve the problem if she didn't have people around her who were good at different things that could contribute to sort of creating this perfect ending. So Willow, you know, uh, hadn't known so much about magic or, you know, Giles didn't know so much about what he knew about. They're really, you know, it said a lot about working together. And I mean, really, when it comes down to the paranormal and research into the paranormal, Greg and I are constantly looking for people who have skill sets that we don't have that we can surround ourselves with because they're always going to help us at the end of the day, uh, push the question a little bit further. And, and talk more about how that, that impacts your museum. Oh, my gosh. I mean, it impacts it hugely because, for instance, we'll, you know, something that just happened recently where we uh, had someone come up to the museum and, and talk to us about wood. And they were able to kind of tell us, like, you know, my parents owned a lumber mill and I can tell you that this wood doesn't come from this place. So we, we actually found out that a piece that we had originally probably came from a different part of the country than we first thought. So... Again, that's sort of like these, you know, surrounding yourself with people who know things, know more about things than you do is always a good thing because it's just, again, going to help you solve your problems really at the end of the day. And Greg, can you follow on with that and maybe just, you know, for, for newbies, like explain what, like what your museum is all about and, and how yeah. that relates to Buffy? Uh, I mean, you know, one of the things that Dane and I always talked about is how cool it would be to have a place uh, like the the Magic Box and, <laughs> and a place that had all of these really cool old occult artifacts and stuff. And I think subconsciously, we'd started to collect a lot of that stuff early on. And it was maybe three or four years ago that we decided, well, we've got a lot of this stuff and there's people always trying to give us stuff that they don't want. Why don't we start a, a traveling museum and take the stuff to people? And, you know, to expand upon what Dana was saying, you know, I think the one thing that we've learned, you know, from Buffy and from our, you know, everyday, uh, everyday life is, you know, surround yourself with weirdos, 
find the weirdest people and surround yourself with them because they're going to teach you lessons and and help you in ways that nobody else ever can because they're going to have such a unique insight on the world because they're weirdos. And so we do whatever we can. I mean, we we hang out with real vampires. We've gone to New Orleans and spent, you know, a few days hanging out with with people who drink blood and claim that they're, you know, sanguine vampires and we hang out with alien abductees and and they help us, you know, experience what they experience. And, you know, doing things like that has really broadened our our worldview and and shown us that, you know, things aren't quite as as simple or uh uh, black and white as they normally are but if you have the right people around you're going to you're going to experience the world in a way that most people aren't able to awesome and that's that's a a really uh a telling thing to say you know that that you're talking about like peak experience that other people um you know don't don't get to experience but but um because of you know the influence Buffy had, you're yeah. able to to get get that now. The world can be Sunnydale if you if you just go and look for it. <laughs> awesome. So, all right. So, what, James? What is your favorite episode and why? I know it's hard. There are so so many, but I'll, I, yeah, it's so hard to choose. I'll, the the one that always comes back to me as incredibly powerful is the wish. Right, the one where um, Anya wishes that Buffy had never come to Sunnydale, and we see the effects, and the effects are horrific. Right, um, that if Buffy had not been in Sunnydale, it would have been a real dystopia. Right, um, and uh, for me, that shows. Although it's great to surround yourself with groups of weirdos, right, and and people who 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 challenge you and think like you that one person can have that kind of an effect is a very powerful message, especially when that person is a 16-year-old girl, right? Um, what do you say, Jack? My favorite episode. Um, my mind always jumps to the episode with the gentleman in it. Oh, yes. Floating hush. around, yeah. That, that was a great one. Um, an amazing episode. And it's just the, the kind of atmosphere that it conjures. You know, one of the things that I'm most interested in is kind of like um, religious experiences and the, the kind of like feeling, emotional kind of feeling responses that these uncanny, uh, these uncanny things give rise to. And I think that episode captures that perfectly. The, the way they're floating around, they're constantly grinning. You could also think of them as kind of like a proto-Slenderman kind of Oh, uh, yeah. Characters, which is Absolutely. another interesting avenue that you could go down. Um, right. And then another favorite episode was the one with Dracula in it. <laughs> oh, <laughs> <Because> yes. <laughs> I've always loved Dracula, and it's nice to see Dracula popping up. And then, um, yeah, it's good. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Dana, what do you say? It's so hard. Ja- Jack-, Jack got two in there. I know. Sorry. Well, I'm I- not that strict as it turns out. <laughs> Hush Hush is absolutely one of my favorite episodes. And I mean, when you think about it, there was like 35, 40 minutes of silence in an episode absolutely. of a television show, which is, I mean, insane. Unheard of. Uh, absolutely. I mean, so definitely Hush is one of my favorites, but uh, once more with feeling. Because it's a musical. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, that, that was a great one. And yeah, again, again for Hush, uh, just incredible that a TV show could 
could uh, be quiet for as long as that one was and still convey the narrative, you know, still understand, you know, that there's more to language than, than just speech. Mm -hmm. Greg, what do you say? Uh, I, I, yeah, I've got to go with James on this one because that, uh, I, I, I think about the episodes that I've seen and ones that I'll just kind of, you know, if I'm feeling a Buffy fix and I just want to put something on, uh, I've watched the wish quite a few times. And I think it's just because it's such a neat, uh, a neat take on, on the Buffy universe and seeing what it would be like without her. And I think that, you know, it kind of makes you think, you know, what would the world be like if this person wasn't in my life? Or what would the world be like if, you know, maybe what if I wasn't here? How would the world be different? And it's kind of a fun thinking exercise. So uh, I, I like that one a lot. I like that one a lot. And uh, I'm not going to choose to. All right. <laughs> I could. Yeah. So um, ah, I, I think my favorite is I only have eyes for you uh, for so many reasons. But I think because it, it, it dealt with ghosts, you know, way that. I think, you know, we'd be used to as paranormal investigators. Um, so I, I just loved how it, it dealt with ghosts, but also also um, this idea of, of whether or not someone should be redeemed, you know, really looking, looking at forgiveness and, and uh, thinking, uh, thinking some hard questions about it. You know, should people be forgiven? For what they've done in life, so I, you know, I, I found that one to be very poignant. So here's kind of a sticky wicket. Um, <laughs> how did Buffy influence uh, the way you look at the role of men and women? What do you say, James? Well, I think if it had an effect on the way I, I thought about that, right? Um, and I think it did, right? One of the one of the ways, and I'm I'm sitting here wearing a Veronica Mars T-shirt, right? <laughs> Is that it? it yeah, which has nothing paranormal about it at all. But um, but it it did make me appreciate and pedagogically made me appreciate the contributions of female voices and discussions that I had perhaps not always recognized, given my own male privilege. Um, so in that in that effect in in that respect, it had a real effect on me and going, wow, women. I should pay more attention to them, right? Uh, I should pay more attention to what they think, how they think, how they act, how they're perceived by others to be weak, and then, wham, guess what? They're not. And Willow, Willow plays into that as well, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, so her very mousy character in the beginning, you know, how, how she transforms into this powerhouse, you know, a force to be reckoned with. Just, just to watch that arc is just, you know, one of the most amazing, amazing things. Um, Jack, uh, what do you say? Uh, role of men and women, women you know, gender roles. Yeah. You, you know, as an anthropologist. Uh, as <laughs> an anthropologist. <laughs> well, not the big guns. <laughs> I mean, it's good in its, you know, showing that females, women can be you know just as intelligent just as strong on all of these other things as men i mean really that's it as far as i'm concerned it it's uh you know it it reinforced my own ideas about the role of women basically i think i'd always been pretty um i just think we're equal i think we're all equal and that's it <laughs> awesome dana yeah. it was i mean again thinking back to like 16 year old dana it was super it was empowering it was a show that kind of just said you know for me at that time 
you can you can do whatever you want really and if that's taking a group of girls ghost hunting and kind of you know at the time once once we got a little bit older and we started kind of going to conventions and we did sort of have older men who were at these conventions looking at us like why are why is there a bunch of teeny i can't tell you <laughs> how many times yeah i can't tell you how many times we had you know people say you guys look like you should be in a band why you're why are you uh. looking for ghosts and so <laughs> i mean but again at the end of the day it was it was a show that not only empowered us but let us know like you can do it on your own terms you can do it the way that you want to do it and we kind of always just stuck with it and and i think you know i'm going to comment on that that too to say that i think that it's still important in that way the message that it conveys because um you know still even like uh, about a year or so ago um i was on tv so a lot of people at my school um who hadn't known <laughs> what a weirdo <laughs> i am <laughs> uh it all became clear uh but but uh, I was really startled. Like a lot of the times, you know, I just go through my life thinking everything's cool, everything's egalitarian, everybody's equal now, and then something happens that kind of slaps me. <laughs> and and this was one of these situations where, um, so I'm on the show um, with some paranormal investigators that I brought into the case. They didn't bring me in; I brought them in. And and the organization is run by a, a, a male. Uh, and he's a, he's a real scientist during the day, so that's why I work with them. But but anyway, so I, I brought them in. And so when we're interviewed, I'm interviewed, and then, you know, the, the leader of the group, the investigative group, is interviewed. And um, what was really startling is the, a couple of the guys at work said to me, so is, is he your husband? <laughs> because they couldn't fathom that I would be into this all on my little self, you know, like my, that Allison could actually be interested in such things all by her lonesome. No, it was must, must be some man who introduced me to it. I must be doing it because my husband's into it. So, yeah. So that's still out there. I mean, and these are great guys. Don't get me wrong. But when stuff like that happens, you, you're just like, whoa, what, what world am I living in? It's not the world I thought it was. Uh oh. <laughs> what, what do you what do you have to say about it, Greg? Uh, I mean, I where I was from, the odds were stacked against me as far as, uh, you know, how I was being raised. I mean, you know, I was being raised in the church, uh, which isn't traditionally very cool to women. And I was raised in rural Pennsylvania, and it wasn't a very progressive place at all. So, you know, being introduced to Buffy the Vampire Slayer, where, you know, there were a lot of really strong female characters, uh... I mean, it's it's strange to think of, you know, how differently I might have thought, uh, you know, because I was I was introduced to it fairly young. And, and so these ideas were instilled in me, you know, as I was a, a much younger person um, in a place where those ideas did not typically float to the top of the society. So I, you know, it definitely had a, a, a big influence. And I think that I'm a better person for it. So here's a question for you. There's so many moments in Buffy. There's so many quotes. Are there any quotes that stick out to you that, that you know, still, still have meaning for you today or you think should have meaning for society? Um, what do you think, James? Well, so there, yeah, there, so, so I'm going to, I'm going to cheat and have two, right? Because one <laughs> okay. is, that's fine. One is, one is actually outside of the, outside of the series, right? And it's the end of becoming part two, right? After Buffy's had to kill Angel and, oh, right. 
And instead of going grr arg at the end, it says, I need a hug. <laughs> and I just thought, that's, that's you know, I that was, that. that's just one of those moments where Joss knew exactly what he was doing, right? Um, <laughs> but I think the, you know, the more relevant quote also comes from the same episode, right? Um, or the same two episodes, right? Uh, which is the, you know, the big moments are going to come. There's nothing you can do about it. We're not puppets. But, you know, it's what you do after the big moments that shows who you are. And that line has always stuck with me as, um, you know, when I've had my own big moments, it's like, well, how am I going to react to them? And what does that say about me? And what does that say about my values and my prejudices and everything else? Thank you. Jack? When I think about um, Buffy, I can't think of a specific um, key quote, but there's one thing that always floats in my mind, and it's, um, all my life I've studied the dark arts. <laughs> and I don't know whether that's uh, Giles or whether it might be like Van Helsing in some Dracula film, but <laughs> it's the thing that, that, that springs into my mind. And you know, all through my life, I wanted to be able to say, all my life I've studied the dark arts. <laughs> <laughs> well, and you said it today. How does it feel? It feels very good. And I think I'm getting there now, yeah. Awesome. <laughs> um, so, Dana, what do you think? A moment or it's a quote? It's so hard. Well, see, I always really love the relationship between Xander and Giles because I think it's just, you know, Giles loves Xander and Xander's always ready to say the stupidest things ever. So there are lines that stick out in my mind. You're going to steal mine, aren't you? I have two. <laughs> You're going to steal I mine. Always, I always think of Xander going like, who's a little vengeance demon? Like those, those, <laughs> and that humor, it was so much about like what Buffy was about. But the other line is, I'm assuming this will probably be the same yeah. answer for Greg and I. It's Xander, never read Latin in front of the books. And it's kind of in our rule, basically. Anytime we get something for the museum, we never read Latin in front of it. We never do any, anything like that. Just in, in case. Just in I case. I think we, we've pulled a deeper meaning from it, yes. which is, you know, it's, it's uh, you know, this stuff's fun and interesting, but always be very, you know, tread carefully mm -hmm. when you're around this stuff because you never know, you know, you never know. How true the story of the, you know, the, the cracking man clown is that someone sent you. Maybe if you do do the wrong thing in front of it, you know, something bad will happen. Yeah. Um, well, for me, I have to go back again to I Only Have Eyes for You in that, um, that concept of forgiveness where, where Buffy just can't forgive uh, this teenage boy who essentially killed his teacher. Now, this is, you know, alarming <laughs> on so many levels to me now that I am a teacher and just going, ah, you know, like, who is at fault here? You know, I... I so I've got a problem with the episode in retrospect uh, because, you know, what about what about the teacher? You know, didn't she have some responsibility in what happened? But, you know, they fall in love. She breaks up with him and then he kills her. Um, and and this uh, this act of violence um, reverberates through time and keeps catching other people um in uh, the repetition of the action, which I thought was really compelling. But, you know, the quote is, you know, Buffy um, also can't forgive herself for um, what she did in transforming uh, Angel into an evil character. She, she can't forgive herself that. And so sh she's really identifying with this character and in her inability to forgive him and want to con condemn him. And, and uh, Giles says to forgive is an act of compassion, Buffy. It's not done because people deserve it. It's done because they need it. And to me, that was just like, oh, my God. You know, that is so beautiful to think about and to remember in your mind that you need to do this for people. 
it's not because they deserve it, it's because of some external thing. It, it's your your duty to be compassionate. Um, so so that was a pivotal one for me. Just a couple more questions here. So critics have said that Buffy shows us that anyone can be a hero. So what do you have to say about that, James? Well, it's true, right? I mean, it, it that's that is, I think, one of the one of the larger messages of the show is that somebody like Xander can be part of this group and contribute effectively. Somebody as goofy as Xander, somebody who's not going to go to college, somebody who's not going to, um, you know, who's had this horrible parental upbringing is going to make such a difference. Willow, whose mother was picking out her clothes at Sears, could develop the way she developed and ended up helping to save the world at the end of the series. And all those potentials in season seven who, I mean... Spoiler alert. Yeah. <laughs> For a 20-year-old series. Just the word potentials, right, is, is one of those things that I think this show reinforces over and over again is that we all have this potential within ourselves to have an effect on the world, whether that be big or small, right? Yeah, so I just wanted to follow on with that and and say, you know, wow, um, you know, the idea of these potentials, you know, I mean, that for me was like the the premise of the series is there can be kind of like Highlander in a way. There can be only one. There's only <laughs> one Slayer, although they, they keep playing with that throughout the series and bringing other ones in on it. Um, so, but, you know, at the end, to just turn that around on its head, right? And um, to, wow, to, to be able to, to kind of open up, up um, Slayage to everyone in a way, to say that you too could be a Slayer. And, you know, seeing all those empowering scenes of, of you know, people, uh, you know, being abused and then rising up. Or, you know, someone that seemed weak, standing tall, um, standing up against bullies. You know, it really opened it up to all of us, saying you, you all can be a hero. That was really a, a powerful moment um, when Willow did that spell and just transformed the world, really. Uh, now, it looks like we've lost Jack. I think maybe Mike is trying to get him back on. But in the meantime, Dana, what do you think about the concept of heroism being available to everybody? I think... I mean, and really, at the end of the day, that's what Buffy the show did for a lot of people when they were watching it. You know, it did. It, gave, it met, made them feel like they were potentials, that they could be just like Buffy. And, you know, the other thing that I think is really interesting about it, too, is, is that it humanized the idea of being a hero because Buffy had really, you know, crappy days and Willow had crappy days. But they, you know, again, going back to the idea of surrounding yourself with people that are your, your chosen tribe or your family. They help lift you up in those moments so that you can, everyone is a hero and everyone, you know, is allowed to kind of be human at the same time, but they can all kind of work together to, to get to the end, uh, in a good way. So, you know, I, I, I do, I think that Buffy says a lot about, you know, you can, if you can find something in yourself that you can relate to a certain character with, you know, like if you're, for instance, like me, an introverted person, I tended to kind of lean towards Willow. And so for me, Will, you know, watching Willow kind of become a, a big hero was like a big deal for me because I was like, I've always been interested in magic and I've always been interested in the occult. And so I think that it inspires a lot of people to kind of search for those aspects of them themselves that they find in those characters. What do you say, Greg? 
I think Dana kind of touched on, you know, what I was going to say, which was, you know, everyone can be a hero if they embrace what makes them a hero. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's very difficult sometimes to see, you know, how other people have achieved things and how other people have, have helped people. You know, sometimes it's in really big, crazy ways and sometimes it's in small ways. But it's it's really more about, you know, what makes you a hero? What can you do? What can you add to the the bigger picture that will help save the day? And I think that's, you know, again, it's 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 hope for weirdos, you know, people who are <laughs> who are outcasts in a way. Uh, it's it shows that you, too, no matter how strange you might be to you know normal people, there's things that you can do to to contribute and there's things that you can do to be a hero. Wow. And that's like a social justice message right here. Did you ever think we're going to get to that in this paranormal podcast? But yeah, yeah right? I mean, it, it's like immensely empowering to, to think that everybody, no matter how strange, they all have uh, gifts to give. And, uh, you know, and, and, and even in, in uh, small characters, you know, like in, in, in Angel, they did this too, uh, you know, showing that, you know, Hey, this, this seemed like a minimal character. What a goofy character. And, and you know, see how, how they helped, you know, without them, this wouldn't have happened. And, and so, I, I mean, I think, think it's a message for all of us even today. And that's, that's my final question then, James. What do you think Buffy still teaches us today? Well, uh, it, yeah. That's an overwhelming question for me, right? Uh, <laughs> so sorry. No, so no, many I mean, things, I mean, right? So, so one of the things I'll pick up from what you just said was I keep thinking about the character Anne um, in, in Buffy, who, you know, Buffy empowered, and then she ended up on Angel doing incredible things, um, you know, in terms of just helping people, getting back to that social justice question. But I think at the end of the day, it, it goes... It goes to the the heart of um, you know still how how very masculine our culture is that we watch Buffy and we're surprised and we're amazed and we're moved that there's this first teenage girl then young woman who is able to make such a difference teenage Xander who grows into such a important character Willow who develops her you know, her knowledge base and, and becomes this incredible witch. And, and overall there's, there's Giles, there's that, you know, what ought to be a generational conflict is not. And so there's, it's a show about becoming, right? I mean, that's why I, I, I picked that quote. I did it. Becoming is, I think the, the message of the show, we can become who we are and, uh, we just need the right mentors. We need the right opportunities. We need the right big moments. Yeah. So self actualization, <laughs> uh, and also social justice. Like so many big messages here. Dana, what do you think? I a hundred percent agree. And I think that like the thing about Buffy was you were watching someone who in the beginning didn't really, you know, she she struggled with what she was. And she struggled with her roles and she didn't really like them. And she did them anyway because she knew that, you know, it was the right thing to do. And you see after, you know, after episodes and episodes, you see her kind of becoming this this person and and doing it in her own way. Because she had, again, a lot of pressure from the outside world to kind of like from from the watchers to kind of do things the way that they wanted it done. But Buffy wasn't going to do it that way. And I think that that's such a great message for everyone to kind of like continue, you know, 
reminding yourself that you can get you can get to where you're going on your own kind of terms and that it's a process and it'll happen, but you have to stick with it and you have to find the right people and you have to get the right Scooby gang around you and you have to be patient, but you'll get there eventually. Yeah. And, and uh, going back to like the whole watchers council thing, like this idea that, you know, there was this very uh, male hierarchy and, you know, which all came crashing down. Spoiler alert. But, you know, <laughs> the, the idea that, that there are traditional ways that things have been done, but you, you can improve upon those. Mm-hmm. You know, you can, you can take away from that what, what's valuable uh, and, and yet still, uh, you know, still bring it into, uh, you know, a new world that you've, you've created on your own terms. Greg, what do you say? <laughs> I, that that's actually I mean that was something I was going to mention too was the idea that if you feel like the rules are unjust look at what they did in season 7 you know if the rules are unjust and you don't like them um change them you can change them if you want to and I think that's a big deal uh and and even you know beyond that on a on a more personal level the idea of you know like we were talking about earlier found family versus the family that you were born into and I mean Buffy is a really great example of that all of these people who've come together and, uh, you know, created their own family and created people that, you know, love and care about them. And I think that for a lot of people, I think a lot of people that relate to Buffy can relate to that and relate to the idea that a lot of the, 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 the most important people in their lives, the people that become their real family are people that they're not blood related to. They're just people that you've you found. That's resonate with. That, um, yeah. Oh, man, you guys, you've just been amazing today. And it, like I said, I think we've we've touched on, you know, some some really, um, really life changing themes. And the show can still reach out and, and, you know, help people with their personal evolutions. So thanks again for joining us today. Unfortunately, we did lose uh jack hunter but he was talking to us all the way from wales um across the pond so uh, we we lost our our giles but i'm sure we'll get him back on the podcast really soon and we do appreciate his contributions today and um he uh he edits um the the paraanthropology journal uh so you can google that you can also uh, on facebook they have a great uh Facebook group. If you just type in paraanthropology, it'll come right up, and and you can uh, you can stay in the conversation. These these are uh, themes that are discussed, um, and uh, you can continue that discussion over there at Paraanthropology Journal. Um, James, where where can we find more about your work? Well, I've edited a book on Buffy and philosophy, and co-edited another book on season six and seven. Um, and published several other articles. So you can Google my name. I have an academia.edu page that has all my all my Buffy scholarship. Um, and then I would encourage you to to seek out the journal Slayage, the official journal of the uh, Whedon Studies Association, where you can find so many amazing scholars writing about so many different topics in the Buffy verse and the Whedon verse in general. Um, so those would be my two set of recommendations. Thank you so much. All right, uh, Dana and Greg. Uh, if people want to come see the museum and see some of you know our, our striving to create the real magic box, they can uh, <laughs> go to paramuseum.com for dates and places where we're going to be. And uh, if they just want to keep up on some of the weirder adventures we've been on, they can go to weirdhq.com. Thank you so much. It, it was really wonderful. Oh, thank you for having us. This was a lot of yes. fun. 
So we want to thank Greg, Dana, Jack, and James, and of course, Allison from Milwaukee Ghost. Thank you so much. For hanging out with us today and really sharing their inspiration and how Buffy inspired them. You know, we always like to talk about pop culture and the paranormal, and that was a huge thing. And it's the 20th anniversary this year. So hope you enjoyed that roundtable conversation. And you can find the show notes for this week's episode at othersidepodcast.com slash 155. Now, the thing about Buffy is that I didn't know too much about it, except I knew that I saw the original movie. I knew that Buffy was in high school. I knew that she was a valley girl. You knew that it was kind of, had a kind of a goofy premise. But when doing some research on it, I found a really great quote by Joss Whedon. Now, Joss Whedon's the creator of Buffy, also the creator of Firefly, uh, the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. show. He directed the Avengers wow. and the Avengers 2. And actually, he's coming in to save the DC uh, cinematic universe, too. Um, <laughs> and so, but, but Joss Whedon's done a lot of great work. And uh, obviously, people are huge fans of him, Firefly especially. But he's got this quote about Buffy. And he goes, so I thought... Well, a TV show needs something that will sustain it. And a California girl fighting vampires, that's not enough. So I thought about high school and the horror movie and high school as hell and about the things the girl fights as reflections of what you go through in high school. And I thought, well, that's a TV series. Wow. Okay. So the idea of high school as hell, that really, huh. really influenced the first two seasons of Buffy, I think. Mm-hmm. And uh, we've got a perfect song for that. We do. Our own Sunspot song, and, th- and this song was actually written uh, in the mid-90s, and we released it on our first album, Radio Free Earth, and the record label that we signed with for a second album liked it so much, they wanted us to re-record it and name our second album this. So this one is about, well, all the crap you have to get put through when you go through high school. Uh, it's called Loser of the Year. Yeah. 
Yeah, you need me. Yeah, you need me. I'm the one who makes you feel good about yourself, so you can go yourself. For listening to today's episode, you can find us online at othersidepodcast.com. Until next time, see you on the other side. Oh man, was that hangout fun tonight or what, Mike? That hangout changed my life. <laughs> no, it really was a blast. I always enjoy talking to our Patreons, getting to know everybody a little bit better. Mm-hmm. And so I'm very grateful that everybody was able to join us tonight. Thank you, mm-hmm. Patreons, for being there. And you can join our Patreon community and join our Hangouts. How do they do that, Mike? They do that by checking out othersidepodcast.com slash donate. And uh, that's the way you can get behind the podcasts, the songs, the videos, all the cool stuff we do every week. You can find that at othersidepodcast.com slash donate. And I tell you what, the Patreons inspired me today. Ooh. Because, you know, we talk about paranormal stories and the, all the different paranormal stuff everybody's doing every week. And so today we were just looking over paranormal stories and we found a story about Chicago and about a possibly new haunted hotel that we hadn't heard about. Yes. And we're actually going in to investigate to learn more about this hotel. So exciting. That we're, that we're going to talk about on a later episode of the show and we're probably going to go there. <laughs> um, so that's, that's the thing. So being part of the Patreon community means being part of... Uh, paranormal investigation part of the songs part of what makes the podcast like new topics coming up and so we want you guys to be part of that one person who contributes that we especially want to thank every single episode is dr ned ned thank you dr ned thank you for your support he's at the patreon level where dr ned gets a shout out in every episode you know just like uh back in the 50s when you know milton burl would talk about camel cigarettes or whatever <laughs> we talk about dr ned and we want to talk about you that same way uh and so we could talk we could talk about you that exact same way othersidepodcast.com slash donate thanks again everybody i'm very grateful that everybody but it... <laughs>